All right. Hey, do me a favor. Get a copy of God's Word in your hand. Let's open up to the book of John today, John chapter 3. If you're visiting with us today, we have been doing a study through the book of John. And over the past few weeks, this is the third week in, the, in John chapter 3, and we've been doing a mini-series entitled Eternal Life. And um, I need someone to help me this morning. Megan, you've been gone for a while. I'm going to ask you to do this. Here's what I need you to do for me. I need you to look at that light. Exactly. What light? I mean, you should have seen her face. She was like, what light? Exactly. What light? I need you to look at that light. There you go. You looked at that light. Why? Well, I told, I told you to look at the light. You didn't look at a light, but I told you to look at that light. Why? What am I doing differently? I'm pointing at it. There's something powerful about a pointer, isn't there? Okay? I mean, think about it. Did you ever think about that for a moment? How powerful is that? Have you ever pointed your finger at somebody and said, don't you ever point your finger at me? I'll slap that thing right off your hand. There's something powerful in a pointer. Okay? And um, if, if, you wanna, if you give somebody directions, you know, you're like, hey, go down this road. Go down about two blocks and turn left. Okay, if you want somebody to look at something, you don't go, hey, look at that. You'll look at the light. You point at it. Megan knew exactly what light to look at when I pointed at it. You know, as we've gone through the book of John, there are two main characters so far that have surfaced um, above everybody else. Those two main characters are John the Baptist and Jesus. And both of those men... Um, pretty much had the same mission. They were pointers. John the Baptist was pointing people to Jesus. When John was out in the desert baptizing and, and preaching a message of repentance, when Jesus finally came, he saw Jesus and he didn't just keep it to himself. He told everybody around him, look, the Lamb of God. And people were like, oh, there he is. Jesus, when he starts doing his ministry, his mission was the same as John's, but a little bit different. He wasn't pointing people to another person. He was pointing people to himself and pointing people to God and pointing people to eternal life. Today being Easter, that's what I want to do is I want to point us to eternal life. You know, last week, I, as I, like, like I said, we've been doing a teaching on eternal life now for three weeks. And um, I, I defined eternal life as going into or getting into the presence of God. It, it's, it's dwelling with God. We call it going to heaven, okay? When we die, we, we go to heaven. And I said last week that 75% of Americans believe in heaven, Okay? So 75% of Americans believe in heaven. They believe in life after death. And I, I would be willing to bet that if you were to ask those 75%, okay, you believe in heaven, um, do you want to go to heaven? I'm pretty sure 75% of people would be like, yeah, I want to go to heaven. So if you ask people, do you believe in heaven, Three, 75% say, yes, I do. More than likely, 75% would say, I want to go to heaven. But if you ask them this question, 
how do you get to heaven? Now, all of a sudden, 75% of the people would not have the same answer. In fact, you probably have multiple answers. And probably the number one answer that would seem to bubble to the surface would be this. If you ask people, hey, how do you get to heaven? Here's what you'll probably hear from people. By being good. How do you get to heaven? By what I do. By being generous. By being religious. By being spiritual. These things. It's things I do. That gets you to heaven. Well, today... I want to show us that um, what we do isn't enough to get us to heaven. That's why we need to have a pointer and point us to the right way. Because I'm going to be honest, if, if, I, want, if I believe in heaven, if I want to get to heaven, um, I want to be pointed in the right direction. If you go on vacation and you're lost, are, do you want some Joe Bag of Donuts pointing you in the wrong direction? And instead of going south, you end up going north? Instead of going east, you end up going west? You end up in a place like, I, this is not where we were supposed to be. I wanted directions and he pointed me in the wrong way. You know what? If I want to get to heaven, because have you noticed lately, um, death still has a perfect rate of 100%. Nobody's cheated yet, Okay. So we're all racing to that goal. Now, when we get there, we don't know. But we're all going to get there. And the question is, when you finally get to that finish line of this natural life, how do you get to eternal life? So let's take a look at that today. I want to look at three things about eternal life. And we're going to be in John chapter 3 today. And we're going to be in verses 22 through 36. And so here's the first thing about eternal life, and it's this. If you want eternal life, you have to get out of the way. If you want eternal life, you have to get out of the way. So starting in John chapter 3, verse 22, I'm gonna, this is just kind of setting up what's, what's happening here. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside. So notice it says, after this. The after this is the first 21 verses of chapter 3. Jesus is having a conversation with this Pharisee, this religious leader, this religious teacher of Israel about this topic, eternal life, God's kingdom. Hey, he, he's talking to this guy by the name of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is trying to have a conversation, and Jesus is like, I'm telling you, Nicodemus, I can tell you exactly how you have eternal life, how you can see the kingdom of God. And so he has this conversation, and now, after the conversation, Jesus and his disciples depart. And they go into the Judean countryside. The Judean countryside is just a region of Israel. It says, and he remained there with them, and he was baptizing John was also baptized at Anon and Selim. Those were just two villages near the Jordan River. And it says, because there was plenty of water there. So Jesus with his disciples, his followers go and, hey, there's John the Baptist. And they hang out with John and they're, they're near the Jordan River and Jesus is baptizing people and John's baptizing people. And you notice it says, because there was plenty of water there. You see, this is why here at Harvest that we baptize by submersion. We, we immerse people. We submerge them in water because that's the biblical pattern. It's not just a sprinkling. John the Baptist needed plenty of water 
so people could go all the way in and come all the way out. And that's what we're going to experience today is to see a baptism take place. Somebody going into the water and coming out of the water. Now, John and Jesus' baptism would have been different from Christian baptism because John's baptism was more of a ceremonial, like outward cleansing. He was trying to challenge people, the Israel people at that time, get your life right with God. And as an outward sign of that, to symbolically say, hey, we're right with God, they would get baptized. So Jesus and John are baptizing people. Look at verse 25. It says, the discussion arose between some of, the, of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, the whole baptism thing. It says, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, he says, he who was with you across the Jordan, he's talking about Jesus. It says, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So Jesus is baptizing people and um, kind of put this in a church perspective. A new church starts, and they have a lot going on. And then all of a sudden, everybody goes to that church. And all the other churches are like, well, why is everybody going to that church? So what's going on here. Jesus is baptizing people, and everybody's flocking to Jesus. And John's probably losing some people. As a church, you never want to lose people to another church. That's no fun. But John's losing people. And some of his disciples are like, whoa, time out, John. That guy that you, can, you declared was the Lamb of God, we're losing folk to him. And they were bent out of shape. Now, you would think John, being the leader, he would be kind of bent out of shape. You think he'd be like, well, this is no fun. God, what's going on? How come, how come our church is losing people? How come that church is growing so fast? How come that church gets all the people? How come we don't have them, God? What's going on? John wasn't like that. Look at what it says in verse 27. It says, and John answered them, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Hey, let me put a commercial in there for a moment. Uh, this commercial has nothing to do with the point, but I thought it was a very interesting commercial that I needed to put in there. He says, you can't receive even one thing if it's not given by God. Let me ask you two questions. Do you ever look at people and get envious of them? Now, don't raise your hands or, or nod your head up and down because that's calling you out. Don't want to do that. But just to yourself. Do you ever look at family members they just seem to have it going on, man. It seems like they, their jobs are doing great. They, they drive a nice car. They have a nice home. And look at us. Do you look at friends or coworkers and wondering, how come they seem to have it all together? How come their life seems so good? But man, we just, we're just scraping by. We're just living payday to payday. We can't hardly make it. And do you ever get envious of other people? Or flip the coin around. Do you look at yourself and go, man, we've got it pretty good. We're doing all right, man. Look at all the stuff that we have. That's a great line to remember. You don't even have one thing that is not given to you by God. You got to kind of think about that. Now, on the, the abundant part of it, that's easy to go, oh, yeah, I get that. God's really blessed us. God's the, the, God's the giver of all this. He, he's really blessed us a lot. Let me ask you, if you don't have all the blessings, are you still giving God the credit? 
if the finances aren't where they're supposed to be. You're not making a ton of money. You are just paycheck to paycheck. Can you still say, God, it's all from you? See, that's a good place to be. End of commercial, back to our regular schedule program. Look at verse 28. He says, you yourselves bear, witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who, who, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Again, once again, John is doing one thing, pointing. He's pointing away from himself and pointing to Jesus. He's pointing his followers away from himself and pointing them to Jesus. Okay, he's talking about this bridegroom. What he's talking about is the best man of a wedding. He's like the best man. You notice he's called the best man, but is the best man the man? The bride or the groom is. The groom's the man. The best man is just a dude that follows the, the man around. The, 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 the best man, what a weird name. You're the best man and you're the gopher boy. You're the best man and you're like, if, if the groom needs something, you're going to get it. You're not telling the group, dude, you go get it. No, you're the best man. But as the best man, you're rejoicing for the groom. You see, John was the best man. Jesus was the groom. And he's like, guys, it's not about me. It is about this guy right here. Get your eyes off of me. And he even says that he goes, me, I got to decrease. But him, he's got to increase. You see, John knew it. He's like, man, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any of us. Who's it about? It's about Jesus. It's about making him great, elevating him, making, it's all about him. And can I tell you, when it comes to eternal life, it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. But yet, think about this for a moment. When it comes to eternal life, we put Jesus on the back burner. And what we start to do when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to heaven, what do we do? Elevate self. Because here's what we do. We start talking about, well, here's what I have to do. Every major religion in the world is all works-based. Every one of them. Every single religion in the world except one says you got to work your way. You got to fulfill certain things. You got to, you know, there's, there's, there's pillars you got to fulfill. There's a road that you got to walk. There's things you got to chant. There's sacrifices you've got to make. And if you do all of these things, you will have eternal life. And so what we do as people, we elevate ourselves, and we start to, and we'll say this, well, here's what I think, or here's what I believe how a person gets to heaven. And John the Baptist is trying to tell us, listen, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. You've got to get out of the way. John, that's what he was saying. He's like, I'm just getting out of the way. I got to decrease. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I say. It's not about what I believe. It's not about what I do. It is all about Jesus, and I need to increase him. He's got to increase. And that's the same for you and me. When it comes to eternal life, you and I have got to get out of the way. In fact, if you look at verse 31, it continues this idea of who Jesus is. Verse 31 says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. 
So Jesus, or John, is now contrasting the heavenly and the earthly. He's contrasting Jesus and people, all right? And so first he, he, he says, he's talking about Jesus. He says, he who is from above is above all. Well, from above means he who is from heaven. So what he is saying, and we've seen this in the book of John already, he is declaring Jesus is the eternal one. Jesus is the, the divine one. Jesus is the great one. When it talks about Jesus being above all, it means that in rank, authority, position, everything, he is above all. There's no one equal to him. That's why in the book of Philippians chapter 2 says that God put him in the highest place and gave him the name above every name. Throughout history, every person ever named, every person who ever lived does not even come close to comparing to the greatness of who Christ is. Jesus Christ is above all. And he is the one that needs to be elevated. He is the one who needs to be looked at. He, it is about him and not you and I. And that's what John is contrasting here. So he says, he from above, Jesus, he's greater than everybody. But then if you notice in the Bible, it says, but he who is of the earth comes from the earth and speaks in earthly ways. He's talking about you and me, okay? He's saying, you and I, we're not from heaven. We're not that grand. We're not that great. We're from the earth. In fact, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, it gives us the idea of where you and I come from. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God formed man out of dust of the ground. And God breathed into the man and we became a living creature. Think about that for a moment. Man is ultimately created from dirt. And it was God that went, and breathe the life into man. But that just tells us where we're made from. Genesis chapter 3 gives us really the clear picture of you and I and where we're headed. After the fall of Adam and Eve and sin when it came into the earth, Genesis chapter 3 verses 18 and 19 says this, Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. God doesn't paint this glorious picture of man, does he? He doesn't say, hey, pat yourself on the back because, man, you are too sexy for your shirt. He doesn't say anything. No, he says, oh, um, you are dust. And you will return there. Loved ones, that's who you are. You're of the earth. You are nothing but dust. And guess what? When your body breathes its last breath, when your heart beats its last beat, you are going to be placed in a coffin. And where are you going to be put down into? The ground. That's what God just said. To the ground you shall go. And that's where we go. We go back to ground. Well, Jim, what if you're cremated? You're ashes. You're like dust again. That is what we are. And so John is making this contrast. And he's saying, you are nothing but dust. But notice it also says in the, the verse there, 
He says, not only do you come from the earth, but you also speak in earthly ways. You speak in an earthly way. And what that means is this. When it comes to really spiritual things, when it comes to the things of God and, and, and Christ, and, and John's basically saying this. Um, we don't know what we're talking about. We truly don't. We, we, we just know earthly things. Our mind is on earthly things. Our mouth is on earthly things. And when we think we know all about God, I sometimes wonder if God sits up in heaven and chuckles. He's like, oh, you all, you're just, really, you think you figured me out? You, you think you've put me in a box? You think I, can I tell you the moment you think you figured God out, that is no longer God. Because God can't be figured out. We haven't even, as, as, as people, as humans from the earth, we haven't even scratched the surface of who God is. And so when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to heaven, shouldn't we base our decisions and say things on the right thing instead of what people think? Because if we're just dust and we really don't understand heavenly spiritual things, why in the world do we act like we do? But isn't that what we do? Because think about it. From famous people to rich people to poor people to unknown people, people will say this. I think this is how you get to heaven. I believe this is how a person gets to heaven. And then they will start to list everything. I believe you get to heaven because you're spiritual. I believe you get to heaven because you, have, you, you just have a sincere faith about something. I believe you get to heaven because you do good works. I believe you get to heaven because you're a great guy or a great girl. You, I believe you get to heaven because people like you. I believe you get to heaven because you're popular. I believe you get to heaven because of a lot of reasons. And John the Baptist is telling us, you and I have got to get out of the way. Because we don't know anything. We don't know the right way. Which just takes us right into the next point. If you want eternal life, you've got to get out of the way. But here's the second thing. If you want eternal life, you have to accept the words of Christ as truth. You have to accept the words of Christ as truth. Look at verse 32. So John is continuing to point his followers to Jesus. He begins, he continues to elevate Christ. In verse 32, he says, he, meaning Jesus, bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. So John is now saying, not only did he contrast the heavenly and the earthly, now he's contrasting those who believe the words of God and those who don't. First he says there that, that Jesus is, he, he, he gives his testimony to what he has seen and heard. Um, raise your hand, have you been to heaven? Nobody. Okay, I thought so. So you don't know what other, outside of what the Bible says, you can't tell me what heaven is really like, all right? You don't even have a clue. You, you, you're just like, um, I can kind of ballpark it, but you can't give me details. None of us can, but Jesus can. Why? Because he's from above. And so he comes to earth with a message. 
Jesus came to earth with a message, with a word. He came with a word, the truth of God, about God's kingdom. And he's like, hey, here's what it's like. Here's how you get in. But yet it says that nobody receives the testimony. Now, when it says that no one receives it, it doesn't mean like literally nobody receives it. Here's what it literally means. That so many people reject the truth of Christ and God's word, it's like nobody receives it. If you were to quantify this thing, if you were to look at how many people were to reject it versus how many people receive it, it would be like, it would be like those who um, reject it are like this. That many, just the gates wide open. But those who receive it, very small. That's the comparison. But notice he says, whoever receives it. So here's the, here's the dilemma you and I have. Either the Bible is right or it's wrong. Either I believe it or I don't. For those who do believe it, those who do receive the words of Christ, notice it says they set their seal on it. And what that means is that's a metaphorical for when back in the, the, the ancient times when a king or somebody would deliver a letter, they would take wax and pour on the letter and then take a signet ring and press it into the, to the wax to seal it. And what that seal meant was that the letter that whoever was receiving it, the letter was authentic. It was absolute. It was truth. That seal sealed that letter and there was no way to change it. If that seal was broken, you couldn't take it as real. So what John is saying is those who believe the words of Christ, the, those who believe the truth of God's word, they're setting their seal approval on it. They're saying, I believe this thing to be real. I believe this thing to be truth. I believe it to be right with all my heart. That's setting it up. That's setting the seal on it. And so again, you either believe it or you don't. That's the choice all of us have. So the question is, do you believe what the Bible has to say? Do you believe the words of Christ? So again, you and I have a choice. I either can listen to people and the culture about eternal life, or I can listen to Jesus and God's word about eternal life. Which one do we choose? Well, if I choose people and, and, and the culture, here's what I'm believing. I'm getting to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm getting to heaven because I'm nice. I'm getting to heaven because, well, I don't really do a lot of bad things. My good pretty much outweighs my bad. I'm getting to heaven because I'm a religious person. I'm getting to heaven because I have faith. Faith in what? You see, that's what the culture and people say. But the Bible says something completely different. Here's what the Bible has to say. In Titus chapter 3, verse 4, it says this. When God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. You see, God saves us not because of our righteous works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of result of works, so that no one can boast. 
I love that verse because there is nobody going to stand before God and go, let me open my book. Hey, God, here's my resume. Look at all the things that I've done. Hey, can I, can, I just, can I just name them to you? Listen to this, God. When I was five, I set up a lemonade stand, and I was cheaper than everybody else on the, on the block. God, when I was 13, um, I went to church camp. God, when I was 18, I helped, the, I helped at the elderly shelter, and, and I, I helped elderly people at Thanksgiving. God, when I was 30 years old, you see, we just give God our resume. And Paul, in the book of Ephesians, says, It's not going to matter because God's going to look at our resume and go next. It's pointless and it's meaningless. And then in Galatians chapter two, verse 15, it says this. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works of the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because of works of the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by works of the law. You're not made right with God because of your good deeds. But yet the world and the culture and people, that is the mantra we chant all the time. It is because of you. What you do, who you are, where you come from, what you achieve, that's how you will get to heaven. But yet the Bible says something completely different. The Bible says you do not get to heaven because of who you are or what you've done. You are not made right with God because you have done good things or you're a good person or you're a kind person. Now, does does that mean that being a good person or a kind person is bad? Absolutely not. It just doesn't save you. It doesn't get you into the door of eternal life. But then the question has to be asked then, if I've got to get out of the way, and and it's not by what I do, so I have to believe what the Bible says, then how do I get to heaven? And here's the last point. If you want eternal life, you have to believe in Jesus alone. If you want eternal life, you have to believe in Jesus alone. Look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son of, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, that word obey means to obey and believe in what God has said. If you do not obey, if you do not believe the Son, you shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Again, a choice to believe or not to believe. To believe in Jesus is more than just believing in facts. It's more than just going, oh yeah, I I believe that Jesus lived at one time. Yeah, I believe. Belief is, it's like an anchor. Belief is, I absolutely, 100%, I trust in Jesus. I, it, it's like surrendering my life to him. It's giving my all to him and saying, Jesus is the only way. But then it says that those who don't believe don't have eternal life. So why do I need to believe in Jesus? What's the big deal? Why, why can't our good works save us? 
Why can't my religious deeds save me? Why do we need to believe in Jesus? Even Jesus himself says, if you don't believe in me, you don't have eternal life. That's what he said to Nicodemus. Why do we need to believe in Jesus and why can't we just be good? Why can't God just be like, okay, you're good. Your good outweighs your bad. Come on in. Why, does he, why is it so narrow? Only Jesus. Because of this one problem. Sin. That's it. That's the only problem. Sin stains everything about you. Sin is a cancer within all of us. And that sin within us cannot be removed because I'm a good person. The sin in me cannot be, be taken out of me because I do a few religious things. The only thing that removes sin is the sin bearer. And that is Jesus. That's why we celebrate Easter. Because Jesus died on a cross to become a final sacrifice that the wrath of God would be poured on him and not on us. That sin, he becomes sin for us so that you and I can become right with God. You see, apart from Christ, we have nothing. But when I believe in Christ alone, when I come to that place where I say, Jesus, be my savior, Come into my life. In that moment, I have eternal life. But when I continue to go through my life thinking I'm good, I'm going to bank on my goodness. I'm going to believe what people have to say. So I'm good, I'm religious, I'm sincere, I'm whatever it is. I'm going to go with that. I don't think I need to believe in Jesus. Verse 36 says that the wrath of God remains on you. That means God's judgment is still before you. That means you are still dead before God spiritually. That means that you are still not right with God. And if you, apart from Christ, die in your sin, you will be eternally separated from God. Because the book, in the book of Isaiah chapter 59 says that our sin separates us from God. Romans chapter 3 says we are all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is eternal life with him. It's coming into his presence. And if I don't know Jesus, I will be forever separated from him. And that's a reality. And some of you are facing that reality because you are still not willing to come to that place to say, I believe in the word of God and I believe in Jesus. Gang, here's the truth. Either the Bible is right or it's wrong. Either Jesus was right or he was wrong. The Bible and Jesus is either truth or it's not. And here's the thing. If the Bible is wrong, if Jesus is wrong and the Bible's not truth, what are you out Nothing. Because it's not real. We're just gathering because that's what we're just doing. If this is not real, if this is not the truth, if this is not the word of God, then you're out nothing. And you can go on living your life however you want. Because when you die, well, we don't know what happens then. Maybe nihilism is right. Man, you just die and you're done. 
But what if this is right? What if Jesus is right? What if this is truth? The absolute truth. The only truth. And Jesus says, if you do not believe in me, you do not have eternal life. But whosoever believes in me has eternal life. The question is, is what do you want? Do you want eternal life or not? If you don't want eternal life, then just keep living how you're living. Gamble. Take the risk. Shoot the dice. Maybe you'll come up, I don't know, maybe you'll hit 21. And maybe, 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 I'm, maybe I'm just preaching just everything I'm saying is nonsense. Take the risk. See what happens at the end of your life. But if you're not a gambler and you're not willing to take that risk, then there's only one solution. You got to believe in Jesus. You got to come to the place where you're like, you know what? I'm a sinner. And my sin will separate me from God for all eternity. And I don't want that to happen. And so Jesus, come into my life. Be my savior. Because apart from him, you don't have eternal life. But with him, you do. Amen? Let's all bow our heads.